right, I am a I am a podcast man. I think you'll agree. I am I am a podcast man. All right, this is the um solo show. We'll try this. <clears throat> I um I you know I god damn it, this fucking I've got this like some some sort of podcast mic, but I think it might be broken or something. Uh, I stole it from Amazon. Um, how do you do that? Uh, you order something from Amazon and then call an Indian woman on their uh, customer service line and tell her that you never got it. And then when you, you know, when she says, "Well, our, you know, our records indicate that UPS delivered that on this date," you say, "Well, a lot of." Uh, a lot of porch pirates in my neighborhood, if you know what I mean. And then they they send you another one because you lied to them about your shit getting stolen off the porch. And then if you do that enough times, eventually they will not allow you to contact customer service again or rate and review products. Uh, it doesn't matter. I've, um, you know, I I wanted to be a schemer and a scammer. And I scam myself and have lost everything. But what do I have left? Podcasting. I'm the Daniel Plainview of podcasts. I, 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 I have a straw and I put it into your... What would he... What, yeah, if it was Daniel Plainview in 2023, he'd be like, I I, I drink your Soylent. I, I slurp it up. I drink your Soylent. That's what he would, because, so I found out that actually, so the, I, I watched that movie a lot, or no, no, I watched it once. I've seen that movie one time, and I always wondered if, didn't, like, didn't milkshakes exist then? Because if you had asked, like, if you asked me, like, I would have said milkshakes were invented in, like, the 30s, and I wasn't far off, I looked it up. Turns out the milkshake was invented in 1922, so that means at that at the end of There Will Be Blood, which I, th- I think is like in 1927, something like that. I mean, the milkshake was still it was still pretty new, you know. It's like uh, it would have been like uh, you know now if it was uh, Heinz purple ketchup or. So, no, that hasn't existed for 20 years. No, forget it. The milkshake was a, a recent thing at that point. And so, um, you know, I guess that's why it's a very, uh, like, egregious action to, to drink another person's milkshake because they were so new. You know, it was a, it was a, a novelty at that time. Now, you know, you can get a milkshake anywhere. And they got them at, the, at convenience stores now. You ever have a for real or freeze. It's like F apostrophe something. You go to the, uh, it's like a freezer and there's like, it's like a cup with a like foil lid on it. And then you put it into a, put it into a machine. They have like a machine there that you like put this like cup into and you select the thickness you want. And then the machine like blends you a milkshake. That's not that good. And, it's interesting that 
they have these in places like Love's or whatever, like places that are usually connected to a McDonald's or, or a restaurant like that. So you could just go to the McDonald's and get a milkshake there. And, uh, you know, everybody says that the McDonald's ice cream machine is always broken. But the re- the reality probably is that they're, like, fucking cleaning it or something, which is what... McDonald's doesn't owe you anything. That's the thing, is you... McDonald's owes none of us nothing. You know, you don't deserve anything when you go to a McDonald's. You don't even deserve good service. They're not getting, you know, no one there is getting paid anything. And it's one of these top-down corporations that, you know, shit rolls downhill. So there's always like a fat bitch there with a polo on. Boss or, you know, like a button, you know, the button-down fat bitch at McDonald's who goes around bossing everyone around. And there's just like some black high schooler who's like, in you know, minutes away from from fucking getting violent because of uh how shitty that job is. I refuse to do that. I refuse to like you know. I I um I started comedy in 2014, and at that time I had this revelation that I never wanted to have to do. An honest day's work. That was my motivation for doing my first open mic. Was I? I don't want to have to actually work for a living. And so, you know, the the whole idea of being an artist or whatever was secondary. I mean, it's not even on the list. I think it was just like I just don't want to have to actually like do anything. Uh, you know, that requires any real labor. So I said, well, why don't I try and like get into this business where you just get to have fun for a living, you know? Yeah. Like I'm I'm so good at having fun, you should pay me to watch me have fun. And then you get to have fun in, in that. Like you hand me money and then I have fun in front of you for like an hour and then uh and then you're happy or whatever. And uh, like you get to laugh while I have fun. It's a good, uh, it's a nice arrangement, you know, but it's also, you know, it's tough to, to get to that point where, you know, people want to pay you to have fun for a living and who wouldn't want to do that. So it's also, you know, you're competing with like a billion different other fucking jackasses who think they're going to pull this off. Uh, but that was my main, that was my main motivation. And after uh, a long time of doing that and having a, questionable digital footprint i got i got nothing left like i got nothing that i can like fucking go do so it's you know at the, at, the, at this point it's like i look at it like i'm i am the ne- i'm a the next great american uh confidence man i'm a con man is is truly like what i want to be more than more than anything i just want to be a con man i want to um just fleece people, you know, just get people to hand me their money and then they get nothing in return. I think that's what it like, uh, entertainment is pretty much. Um, especially, you know, podcasting is, is just convincing people to, you know, spend money on nothing. I don't know. You get a, you get something to listen to while you do dishes, I guess. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I, I say that truthfully and honestly, that I'm a con man and I want you to pay me 
to, so I don't actually have to work. Like at, at the end of the day, that's the, that's kind of the arrangement I'm looking for is I want someone to give me money so that I don't have to do an honest day's labor. And I, I operate under no delusions that this is anything other than that. Uh, I'm not an artist. I'm not a content creator or uh, I- anything of that nature. I'm uh, purely a con a, a confidence man, a, a schemer and a scammer. I love nothing more than a good scheme. I love scams. I've been watching the, uh, the telemarketers documentary and it's, you know, I watch it and my takeaway is that's a good scam. I like that scam. I'd love to get in. I wish I could have gotten in on that. I'd love to go in a, I, I would have loved to have worked in a boiler room, you know, calling little old ladies and, getting them to spend their dead husband's pensions on uh, some, some sort of like nothing chair, a charity that doesn't, you know, spending money on a, presumably a charity for fallen police officers or what have you. And then almost none of that goes to the actual charity. It's kind of the same uh, business model as the Suman, Susan G. Komen foundation breast cancer. Um, so yeah, that's, so what I want is for you to give me money, uh, and it's uh, going to me. I'm not even, it's not going to go to anything other than me. Uh, and then I suppose if the Patreon for this show takes off well enough, you know, the three of us that do it together, will will split it or, you know, something of that nature. But ideally, so the, like, the podcasting sphere is that you, you like you're conning, you're doing a grift and then you get enough people watching, listening, and then they pay you for that. So you get paid to do the podcast and then other cons, other uh, schemes and scams want to join in. So when it gets, you know, when enough people start putting their, you know, when you got enough eyes on you, it's, it's like, then it's like, you know, what if there was water in a beer can or what if there was, uh, some plant-based opioid that costs just as much as the pharmaceutical opioids, but for some reason it's like supposed to be healthier than Percocet. Uh, that you could you know talk about on your show. What if there was a uh, salves and creams for your balls? What if there was, um, you know something to make your penis hard? You know, it's uh, it's it's a golden age of con men and silver tongue devils and if you have if you have that in you if you have that sort of confidence that like gift of gab or whatever it may be uh and you're willing to just you know say a bunch of bullshit you can i mean that's you know that's where the fortune is these days if if you're working a real job if you're like going to work and like doing construction or whatever you're a fucking idiot because you just sit in front of a, a microphone and talk about the things that bother you or whatever and then eventually, like, the individuals and companies will pay you to just say more bullshit. It's it's kind of nice. It's kind of like that's the, uh, that's a very American thing, you know. Because th- that was, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, there was a, a lot of con men. That was, this country was founded on uh, schemes and scams, you know, snake oil and cult leaders and all, all that kind of stuff. So, um you just have to be willing to put yourself out there. You know, this is my, um, 
it's, so it's like the same idea of like what I'm talking about is kind of the same idea as like it, with Gary V or Tony Robbins or any of these guys. They talk about, like they do this like motivational bullshit where they like sell you this class or some like a ticket to some like speaking engagement. And they try to tell you like how to get motivated and follow your dreams and sell stuff or whatever. And they're operating under this pretense that like what they're doing is somehow like important in, in some way. So like you, like you, you, they deserve to be paid for what they're doing because they're offering some sort of service. Right. But that's a, it's a con. So what I'm doing is just telling you, I am, I'm doing a con. I'm a confidence man. My back's against the wall. I spent, you know, the, a long time in and out of psych wards, wearing grippy socks, being pushed around by Nigerian orderlies, and had, you know, doing group therapy sessions with fat black chicks who I don't even know if they had any sort of license to be there, but they would just hand me and you know four other guys crayons, and then one of the guys is. You know, talking about how he's been gang stalked and the CIA is tailing him and he got hit with a direct energy weapon. And I've been there. You know, I've been in that headspace. I know what that feels like. So no judgment toward him. You know, I've I've spent a lot of time wondering if possibly I was given Havana syndrome by the government because I for Halloween one year dressed up as a juggalo. I had the face paint and everything, and the juggalos are uh, officially uh, on the FBI list of, uh, you know, gangs. They are listed as a gang. So there's, uh, you know, uh, documentation. There's evidence that I am a juggalo. Therefore, I'm a member of a gang. Therefore, the government would want to surveil me and give me Havana syndrome. And, you know, and that's why I had to walk around my uh, neighborhood collect, you know, looking for clues and pestering, you know, I had to go into different small businesses and scream at the clerks because I uh, was, I was on to something. I was going to uncover the truth. I said, you know, it doesn't matter if you spend all your money and max out all your credit cards. I am, I am the Messiah. And when all this shakes out, the government's going to deposit $20 million into my bank account. And then I can, pay off my family's mortgages and get a nicer apartment and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it, you know, come to find out that's not, uh, that doesn't happen. Turns out I just, um, was in a bad way. I was in a weird headspace, which, uh, was spurred on by a combination of SSRIs and psychedelics heavy use of psychedelics i had fun i had fun doing all those drugs but it cost me dearly it cost me my family my loved ones my burgeoning comedy career ground to a halt but i'm back and i'm the daniel uh plain view of podcasting and i'm gonna try what i'm trying to do here is um <clears throat> i guess a uh some sort of solo show to Go along with the uh, the regular show that's w the one with me, Kevin, and Sal, uh, because I enjoy talking to myself, and I might as well record it. I spend all day anyway just, like, mumbling things to myself and talking to no one, and so it's like the Joker said, if you're good at something, you... It <laughs>
<laughs> the Joker playing you. If you're good at something, never do it for free. What if the what if? Yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, if you're good at something, you never do it for free, and that's podcasting for me. Um, but I'm back, baby. I'm back. I had a, I had a big I had a big splash. And then I had, I, I flew a little too close to the sun, you know, Daughtless made wax wings for Icarus and told Icarus, hey, you know, don't go, don't, don't, don't fly too close to the sun. These wings are made of uh, wax. They'll melt. And then my, my wax wings melted and I crashed into the uh, ocean. But, you know, it's um the pro- the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son has returned. I lost everything. I, I I went back to my roots and all is forgiven. And it's time to, you got to rebuild. You got to bounce back, you know. And I think the way that I do that is podcasting, you know, writing things down, talking about them, talking to people, and then just slowly become the, uh, the goal is to become the first podcast billionaire. I'm going to make a, you know, I want to make a billion dollars doing this. Um, and I think that's, that's like a reasonable goal, perhaps. Um, I don't know. But, it, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, I was out of it for a long time and people, a lot of people like kept reaching out to me to like ask me what's going on or like how I'm doing or whatever. And I couldn't like form a sentence or a thought or like, you know, like I, it, it was, it was really like scary. Like I was really scary. And I got to see the, uh, the ins and outs, the horrors of our gutted mental health care system in this country. Uh, but I made it out the other side, baby. You know, I got out of the, the, uh, the psych war and I spent some time traveling around in boxcars, sleeping on bales of hay and, you know, uh, eating, eating can, uh, cans of beans, rest in peace to Anthony Quinn, good friend who recently passed away. He, he turned me on to, uh, cans of beans. And, um, so I'm finally in a better place, obviously. And I'm ready, dude, I'm ready to get back. I'm going to get back to fucking riffing bits with the boys and going and doing karaoke and all that stuff. But first things first, I need, you know, I got to fleece um, thousands of people out of their fucking money because, you know, this is the only thing I know how to do. I can't, like, it, but specifically, like, just, like, podcasting and stand-up. Like, I don't know how to, I can't write anything. I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to fucking build a shelf or fucking do anything. Like, I'm, I, I'm basically just, like, a puddle. You know, just just like a a waste of flesh and blood and bone, but at the very least, I can uh, talk into a microphone for however long I need to. You know, I can fill time. You know, I've been asked to do that before. Hey, can you fill time? And it's like, hey, you know, I got like seven minutes of material, but I can certainly. I have no fear. Just. Uh, just bullshitting my way through this. I remember one time I went on stage at the um. It was like the hyenas open mic in Dallas and, uh, you know, they give you, it was like five minutes and I just like said nothing my entire set. As I had this idea, I get whatever you would call that alternative comedy, anti-comedy. 
But I just thought it would be fun to see, like, what, like, what would the audience's reaction be if I were to just not talk at all? Uh, and I still did the, um, like, I don't know, like the physicalities as if I was actually performing. You know, I pulled the mic out of the stand. I was pacing around, pointing at people. And I I think, like, what ended up happening is, like, eventually the audience, like, kind of caught on to what I was, like, doing and just started, like, started actually laughing at what was happening. Like, once they realized that I was, like, committing to whatever this was, they actually did find it, like, kind of funny. And and then I got the light, and I put the mic back in the stand, and I uh, leaned in, and I said, do I have time for one more? And the audience just it, it fell, you know, black guys were slapping tables and running around the room. It was crazy, dude. Um, I'm sure it pissed off anyone that was actually there to work on the whatever fucking bullshit material they had. But I, I had a good ass time. I love standing, standing up, stand up uh, comedy. I haven't been able to do it for a long time because uh, I, I have Havana syndrome. Um but it's a it's a long road back and here i am talking to myself and trying to figure out what to how do you repair a broken it's like those uh what's those like japanese fucking what the japanese thing where it's like a fucking porcelain like a, por- a porcelain like a tea a tea thing a tea cup breaks and then you put it together put it back together with uh, you, you put it, you glue it back together or something. Like there's some sort of art to break, like mending broken teacups, and then it's like more beautiful than it was before because as the uh, the the scars, the the it's been repaired by some artisan or something. Anyway, so I'm that's what I am is a, a fucking broken Japanese teacup, and I'm being mended, but I'm mending the the cup, and you'll see the gold. Uh, shine through inside of me the light um and yeah there's no i mean there's no there's no way to like ever live the rest of my life without this what's happened to me being like a big part of it you know i can't like go through life without this being like any i guess in anything i do like whether it's like like doing anything publicly like trying to entertain people or even like you know just hanging out with friends and you know outside of all this like it's it's gonna be a thing because people are you know it was all like it was a public thing and it happened and then i just like disappeared so i think like people thought i might have died or something so then like moving forward people are gonna be like so what the fuck happened to you and um you know i i don't know i just started telling people i went to jail to be honest, I in fact that's what happened. I went to jail and I did some hard time, and I found myself there. I joined the Latin Kings um, because my I think my granddad on my mom's side it was Cuban or something. He was some sort of Hispanic, I think. I don't know. I never knew that much about him. He was this weird guy who like. I think like showed up in Florida on a fucking like inflatable couch or something when he, when he was a baby and, um, he got sent to like live at a, it's like a home for wayward boys in Amarillo's this place called the boys ranch. 
So he like grew up in like this weird sort of like, you know, like a like Charles Xavier mansion, but you know, for just like boys whose parents or whatever didn't want them. And so he just, you know, I who knows what went on there. It, uh, and then he, um, I think he like he joined the navy, and he was in the navy, and then eventually met my grandmother. They had five kids together, and then he left her, and then by the time he died, I think altogether he was married 18 different times, and if I'm not mistaken, three of those marriages were never officially divorces, so yeah, I think he was like somehow still married to like three different women when he died. I don't know. That may not be true. I, I, I didn't know much about him, and... Um, he wasn't like, he wasn't a nice guy ever, you know, he wasn't like mean to me or any of the grandkids, but he was all, he was a prick. He was just one of those guys. Like if we went over to his house, it was one of those like, Hey, you know, don't be in the house, go outside. Like, I don't know, just be where I can see you, but don't, don't be in here. And he had, he had like a, um, in his backyard, he had like a, uh, he had a fence, he had a big, like big fence, but he had, he I don't know, I don't know how many people do this, but the fence, like, the, um, the fence was, like, facing inward, so it was, like, a wooden fence, like, a wooden picket fence to, like, block off the yard and provide, presumably provide some sort of, like, security against the rest of the neighborhood, but the, um, the, it was, like, turned around, so, like, the, the, like, the wooden slat, like, the, the nice-looking part of the fence that would normally face outward toward, the street and all that it was a facing in and all of the like lattice work that keeps the fence together or whatever was like facing outward towards the street and the rest of the neighborhood and so like i remember one time my uncle pointed that out to me and said like do you realize how stupid this is that he did this because like yeah it's it's pretty to look at when you're in the backyard like you wanted the fence to look pretty on his end but then anybody that wanted to hop this fucking fence could just climb that uh the lattice work on the other side of it. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh I don't know how fin you know, I don't know anything about fin uh fences or any sort of uh anything that goes into owning a home. I'll never own a house. I think I have like three hundred dollars to my name right now and mo- and then you know, probably like twenty five thousand dollars in different debts and I you know, I owe a lot of bad people a lot of bad a lot of money. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'll pay that off with, uh, podcasting, I guess. Um, I was reading this, uh, in, it was an NPR article about that guy, Joseph Biggs, that just went to prison for the January 6th thing. And, um, something that caught my attention in the article, and I've seen this in other news stories and articles and, and things like that was, his name is spelled B-I-G-G-S, and at one point in the article, it referenced Biggs' charges, you know, the charges being levied against him in regard to the January 6th insurrection. But uh, I'm fascinated by grammar. I'm not that good at it. Like, I don't completely understand grammar. Like, I don't, I, I never really know where fucking commas go, and I've never learned, like, how to actually use a semicolon. I mean, I have an English degree, but I just... I'm like a, you know, I'm more of a Cormac McCarthy kind of guy. I just don't ever, 
use punctuation. Uh, but the way they had written it was B-I-G-G-S apostrophe. So it was big charges indicating like a possessive, like some, like it's possessive, right? But I was taught that if it's singular possessive, it would still require an apostrophe S. Even though his, his name ends in an S, it's not plural. Therefore, you would still need it like an apostrophe S to indicate singular possessive. Otherwise, just the apostrophe indicates uh, plural possessive, right? But uh, I don't know. I, I've seen that in, in a lot of writing where if like someone's name ends in S, they just do just the apostrophe when trying to indicate some sort of possession in that way. But I, I don't know if that's like how it works because you would do just the apostrophe for plural. So like, my, you know, like it, my last name is Pruitt. So if it was like indicating that, you know, Pruitt's, you know, whatever, you know, the Pruitt's food, something <laughs> I'm really creative. It would, but it would be P R U I T T S apostrophe. Whereas if it was just me, it would be, you know, Dalton's D-A-L-T-O-N apostrophe S. And then if someone's name ends in S, that doesn't mean that it's plural. So you would still, you know, do an apostrophe S. Um, but it, you know, it's reading it, like, I know what they meant. It's not, it's not like I, like, completely, completely lost me that, you know, that they only use just the apostrophe and not the apostrophe S. It just made me wonder, like, what are the actual rules on that? But language and grammar is always uh, fluctuating, so none of it makes any sense. Um, but, I mean, language is, uh, you know, it's fascinating. You know, if you read any of the uh, books about language, like uh, the Noam Chomsky's syntactic structures and the Tractato Logico Philosophicus Tractatus Track the Wittgenstein book. I don't know. But it's like language is what we use to like interpret the world. So we assign words to the you know the world around us and that's kind of like our perception of reality. A big part of it is based on words and language. And so in that way uh it's language is still very limiting like you're very you're very limited in what with like what you can do with language and how you can use it to interpret the world so there's like parameters around that in the way we use language uh and and there's sort of like a um I don't know, like a calculus to it, where it's like you have the, all the words and then the grammar and the way you uh, uh, arrange these things to, um, you, you know, paint a picture, or explain something. But I, I think like what Wittgenstein talked about was like there's there's limits to thought and language, and uh, those limits are like constantly expanding. But um, the, there there is like a defined. Uh, uh, sort of something that exists outside of those limits. Like, there's things that we're just never going to get to, even like as the limit of thought and language continues to grow and evolve over the years. It's it's like the whole these abstract concepts of like death and like what happens afterlife and all that kind of stuff is always going to exist outside of those limits. There, it's you know those kinds of things are impossible to ever 
think about or even put into words. And so like a big, I think a big part of his philosophy was just that like, don't even think about that kind of stuff. Like don't like try to wrap your head around death. Cause you're, you're just going to fucking run around in circles until, you know, you're peeking out the blinds and you think the 5g towers are giving you Havana syndrome. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of what's, um, you know, fascinating about language. I haven't read a book in like a year and a half. I've been fucked up, but I'm going to get back to reading. I'll get back to being a smart guy. I'm very smart. Um, and I did enjoy, like, you know, I, when I went to college, I did enjoy like studying English and reading and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, going to college for an English degree is just paying a hundred thousand dollars to read books with other people and then talk about books. And then you write, you try to write your own stories and then a professor and like 18 other dipshits all read your story, try to tell you how to make it better. And then you rewrite it, take it back to the class they read it again. They say, good job. You made it better. And then nobody ever reads it again. And so you uh, wrote a story for no one to read. You'll make no money. And you'll spend the rest of your life bartending because you got an English degree. Uh, but I think every degree is useless now. I was talking to a guy the other day who uh, got like a computer science degree and like, you know, right out of college was making like 90 grand a year. And then now... You know, now he's making like two hundred something thousand dollars a year. But he's, he was telling me like at his company, like they're fucking laying off everybody. Like all these, like people who are more than qualified to do that job, are just getting fucking canned. So now it's like not even a fucking like a, a degree as valuable as that will like guarantee you any sort of like long term employment. And so that's why I say the only like real option these days is podcasting. That's the only like job, real job, real labor that's left is podcasting. We should all just be, you know, talking in the microphones, uploading those conversations to the internet and all listening to what one another has to say. And that's, you know, that's the future, the, 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 the digital space. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about, dude. I'm losing my fucking mind, dude. I'm out. I'm out here. Um, you know, you can see where I am. Uh, so it's 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 nice and quiet, at least. You know, it's not. Um, you know, I just spend the days just twiddling my thumbs, thinking about uh, the way th- the way life used to be. You know, but. It's, it gets, it gets, it's, I'm, I'm like a gay teenager. It gets better. It gets better. Um, I was, a. Uh, I was thinking today about how good unfiltered cigarettes are. You ever had an unfiltered cigarette? You ever get a fucking pack of camel unfiltered? Those, I, dude, I feel like a cowboy smoking them boys. Um, I get they're probably like really bad for you, but damn, do they taste good? That's a good ass. That's a good cigarette. Um, my favorite might be the uh, when I was like eighteen, they came out with the Camel Crush, and 
there's a version of it that's like like the idea of a camel crush is that it's like it's a cigarette but then there's like a little like piece of like microplastic in the butt of the cigarette and so you squeeze the butt and this like little microplastic like burst open and now the cigarette it's filled with like menthol so now the cigarette is menthol so but they make one that's where the cigarette is already menthol and then you squeeze the microplastic and it's even more menthol dude feels it feels like you're smoking straight listerine but god damn is it not dude i feel like i'm on top of a mountain when I'm smoking a, a menthol, Camel Crush menthol, extra menthol on top of a fucking mountain. I also like clove cigarettes, which I guess technically aren't cigarettes anymore. Because like Obama, when Obama was in office, he like he passed something like outlawing every flavored cigarette except menthols. And you couldn't, so the all the clove cigarettes, they had to like pull out, like pull off the shelves. And then, like, these, the, what's the big company that makes clothes? Like, Jerum, DJ, DJ, A-R-U-M, Jerum. They, like, put them back out, but they're, somehow they're technically labeled as, like, cigars. They look like a cigarette, but I guess the wrapping is, like, technically some sort of, like, cigar wrapping. But, damn, those are, those are good. They'll make your tongue numb. And even places that have a smoking section won't let you smoke those. Because I, I went to the... When I was a teenager, 18, yeah, 18, went to the Waffle House with the boys. And uh, at the time, in that part of Texas, that, that Waffle House had a smoking section. So sat down with the boys, and I'm smoking me a little Jerome, a little, a little Jerome's closed cigarette. And uh, the manager came over and said, hey, you have to put that out. It's driving all of us up the fucking wall. Like, how awful that smells. And, um, I didn't know that it smelled bad. I just thought it smelled like, you know, I was doing like sorcery or something. Like it reminds me of, uh, you know, any, any of those like earthy places you go into that sell like crystals and like voodoo books. That's kind of what it's always smelled like to me is like a voodoo, the inside of a voodoo store. Um, I want to get into voodoo. I would like to learn how to do voodoo, uh, to, finally take my revenge on my enemies but one thing at a time i'm still trying to figure out podcasting um i do like new orleans that's where the voodoo is go to a voodoo store in new orleans and they got books in there they won't even let you thumb through until you buy them they tell you like hey the magic in this book is too powerful for you to just open it here in the fucking store. If you're going to 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 wield this magic, you need to give us $30 before you can even look upon the power contained within this these pages. Uh that's a good that's a good scam. It's a good scheme, good con. Um but it'll be a long time before I get to travel or go anywhere, but with your help with your support, uh, get the Patreon going, fucking, um, yeah, Patreon, and then this, the YouTube channel, iTunes, the show is Corn Fed with Dalton Pruitt, I do it with 
the the main show, me and the two other fellows. It's me, my buddy Kevin, and my buddy Sal. And it's three guys who don't know how to even really use a computer or record anything. Just doing a fucking podcast together, dude, by the seat of our pants. And, yeah, they're really good friends of mine. Um, I've known them for many, many years. Very funny guys. And they're just regular dudes these days. They're uh, professional comedians, uh, what call civilians. You like that? You like that when comedians call people who don't do comedy civilians? We're, you know, we're in the train. Comedians are, I mean, I guess I'm, like, not even a comedian anymore, but... Comedians are in the fucking trenches, dude. They're on the front lines. The la- the front lines of free speech. The la- Comedy is the last bastion of free speech, some would say. You know, they're out there fighting the war for everyone, for your freedom. And if you don't if you don't do stand-up comedy, you're just you're just a civilian. You know, you don't know what it's like out there. You have no fucking clue what it's like to have to do do, uh, do stand-up comedy. You don't that's you know that's why that's why it's so insulting to 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 even you know talk to a comedian and uh ask them to tell you a joke or try and tell a joke to them don't even do that don't even fucking look at them don't ever fucking look at a comedian okay revert your eyes as though the the metatron himself were standing before you the metatron being the voice of god I guess you can, no, I think you can actually look at the Metatron. That's like his whole, it's like why he exists. It's because you can't look at God. Because like you'll, your eyes will fucking like boil, like boil out of your head and your brain will melt. But the Metatron is like the the voice of God. So this like creation or some sort of angel or something that can interact with people. And like people can actually like look at the Metatron and have a conversation with them. But I don't know. Um, the only, don't, uh, the only thing I really know about what the Metatron is, is from, uh, a movie dogma, the Kevin Smith movie. And then the, the song by the Mars Volta on their album, uh, the battle of Goliath, you know, the Metatron, maybe I'll break down. Maybe I'll try. Circumvent inoculation. Something I'm fucking a guy. Something like that. Um but I don't know how I got onto that. Metatron. Metatron Tron Tron Legacy Jeff Bridges Burning Bridges Kevin Brennan uh Neil Brennan Dave Chappelle Chappelle Show Donnell Rawlings Ashy Larry Larry Silverstein, the owner of the Twin Towers, he took out an insurance policy against both of those buildings right before 9-11, Stranger Things, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Bobby Brown, New Edition, uh, I'm out. Uh, that's enough free association. Robin Williams. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's one of the things they teach you in an improv class. You spend like 500 bucks to go to one of these fucking improv classes. And then they just like tell you, like, you, you, 
<laughs> trying to teach you how to do like free associate like some fucking guy who I guess also got scammed into doing all that shit. Like he spent like five grand on all five of these classes. Now he gets to be a teacher. He's just teaching you how to do like Robin Williams free association stuff. Just like say something and then say another thing related to that thing. And then another thing related to that thing. And like somehow that's supposed to make you better at like this art form that nobody particularly enjoys anyway. Um, (laughs) Improv. I'll tell you what. As much of a scam, scheme, and con stand-up comedy is, improv is probably the ultimate because no, I don't think anyone likes it except for the people doing it. Like at least, at least with like comedy, like stand-up and podcasting and all that, I think like the people that uh, the audience for that kind of stuff seem to like enjoy it in some way. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever enjoyed a live improv show. I don't think you've just like five assholes going out on stage and doing like little make 'em ups in front of people is entertaining to anyone. Cause it's it, like it, it kind of exists as this thing where it's like you're operating under under the, the this idea that like uh the crutch is that it's being made up on the spot. So like you're supposed to be wowed by the fact that these people got together and they're just like making up some bullshit in front of you. So it's somehow it's, it's entertaining in the fact that there was no script and they, they're just so good at imagining things together that they're making it up right in front of you on the spot. And somehow that's supposed to be impressive. Uh, but I mean, that's, I mean, what, it's just what you do when you're in school. It's just like what, like middle schoolers do at a lunch table. It's just fucking like, bullshit with each other and make up like jokes with each other and so somehow these like improv schools could like fleeced like convinced all these fucking people to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on like classes so they can just do what they used to do in middle school but in front of uh an audience made up of like their friends family and co-workers who didn't necessarily even want to go to this bullshit but are doing it out of some sort of obligation to a person they care about um and hey look i took two levels of improv and look where it got me you know look what it did for me and they say that uh from what i understand like one of the big reasons to do improv is either to like get pussy or like meet someone and fall in love or whatever um and that uh that that was not my experience i got no i got no pussy doing improv i just spent uh 500 but it wouldn't be the first time i spent money on something that did not benefit me at all i've lost everything but i mean whatever it's kind of liberating to to live with your back against the wall that's where con men come from that's why you become a confidence man is when you have nothing left you just you know, you say, fuck it, I'm just gonna, like, try and fucking do a scheme and scam and see if people pay me for that. Um, it's nice. Because when I bounce back, I'll be untouchable. Truly. I'm untouchable now. I mean, what the fuck are you gonna do that's worse than what's already happened to me? So, fuck you. Fuck all y'all. Subscribe to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash cornfed with Dalton Pruitt. Alright, I guess this was a good, like, first run of, like, trying whatever this was. Um, all right, I'm done.